0: it is good to be back, sort of, with all of you. We've been on vacation the last uh, two and a half weeks or so. Um, we had a, a wonderful time with uh, Avon's folks out in, uh, in California. Uh, we had fun swimming, had fun uh, sightseeing. We enjoyed meeting up with several friends that we've known in, in past lives. And so it's been, uh, been good to be there. I, I found the time relaxing. Uh, had some good reading. Read a couple books. Just a time that I, I, I don't have here. Just kind of was more relaxing. Ivan and I read a couple books out loud together. Had uh, uh, had a good time. I, I know, especially I spent some time studying Leviticus. Was really refreshed in, and uh, encouraged by that. It just probably September first Sunday in September is probably when we start opening up, going through the, the book of Leviticus. I'm really encouraged about it. It just points forward to Christ and really shows us the, the glories of what what He has done. And so we're we're ready to to dig back into things. Well, most of you know that we've been in the Psalms. Uh, just kind of a break between the end of Philippians and as we start uh, Leviticus, just trying to uh, just open up a few of the Psalms. And we go we come today to one of the most loved. Cherished favorite Psalms of many. It's Psalm 103. So if you take your, your Bibles and open up to Psalm 103, uh, you can do that now. In fact, uh, I'm going to be, we're going to read the text. I'm going to read it from the ESV this morning. This is the text I've memorized this Psalm from. And so I'm preaching from the, the ESV today. It's a great Psalm. It's a Psalm of David. It's a Psalm that, that David wrote. It's very timely for us. Just as it will come with the, the the treasures and the fragrance of the gospel. Psalm 103 begins like this: "Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases." His acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abundant in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will He keep His anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His steadfast love toward those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does He remove our transgressions from us. As a Father shows compassion to His children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear Him. For He knows our frame. He remembers that we are but dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it and it is gone, and its place knows it no more Bless the Lord, all His hosts, His ministers who do His will. Bless the Lord, all His works, in all places of His dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Let's pray together this morning. Oh, Father, how powerful these words are. Some of us know these words very well. They've been part of our Fighter Verse program. Some have been memorizing those. And they have come as a, a balm to my soul. They are, are, are refreshing, Lord, as they speak so much of Your benefits and Your grace and the way that You have blessed us in many, many ways. God, these, these words are, are favorite and familiar. God, often repeated in the Scripture how You are abundant in steadfast love. God, how You um, God, show compassion towards those who fear You. And Lord, I would pray that this morning that as these truths, these Gospel truths are, are unveiled before us, God, may they sink deep into our hearts. And God, may we come to know and embrace afresh just the wonders of Your love and grace and kindness towards us who are in Christ Jesus. And Father, I do pray now for illumination that You would come and And open these great truths to our soul. From Apart from You, I'm just a a man speaking a mere lecture. God, but with You, it's the power of God in the hearts of the people of God. God, to do the work of God. And so, Lord, we pray that You would come and, and open our eyes, as Darren read for us, to behold wonderful things from Your law. That we might see Your Word and it might be wonderful and marvelous to us. And then we'd go away from this place refreshed just by the truth of Your Word. I know that I have nothing to say in of myself, but Lord, it all comes from You and Your truth. And in that, we do bask and we do long for Your precepts. God, we strive after them and we long to keep them. And so, help us, O Lord, to, to learn that we might grow and walk in Your ways. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to just jump right into this psalm. I I thought about taking the psalm and and preaching it over several series of weeks, but it is an entity in of itself, and so we're gonna press through the whole psalm. Some of it will be in detail, particularly the first two verses, but after that we will we'll just come and, and do an overview of what this what the psalm really preaches and teaches about. My first point comes from verses one and two. Simply this bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. I get that from the The three commands here in verse 1 and verse 2. So I read them again, just just look how it's repeated three times. Bless the Lord. Here it is. Bless the Lord, that's number one, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name, that's number two. And number three comes in verse 2. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of His benefits. Three times in these verses we see the command to bless the Lord. That's not the only place here in the psalm. That that occurs. Look down at the end in verse twenty. Let's count some more. I'm gonna read them, I'm not gonna count them, and then kids, I want you to tell me how many more blessed the Lords are here. Keep them on your fingers if you want, all right? Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. How many more bless the Lord's do we have, kids? In those verses? How about Four. Good. Right there in the back. And how many do we have before? Three. So how many times do we have bless the Lord in this whole psalm? Three plus four is normally seven. All right. Except if you're doing the new math. It's seven, though. It is the theme of the psalm. It is bless the Lord. It's the call at the beginning of the psalm. It's the call at the end of the psalm. And everything in the middle actually gives us reason why to bless the Lord. You'll see that at the the second phrase there, verse 2. Forget not all His benefits. Everything else, those are all His benefits. And so, I have entitled my message this morning that God has blessed us since God has blessed us. Here it is. Bless the blesser. The call for us is to bless the Lord because He has blessed us. Bless the. I'm not even sure blesser is a word, but you know what I mean. It's the One who has blessed us with all these Blessings that we have. Now, this psalm isn't the only one that starts and ends with blessings. Psalm 104, look over there. Begins, verse 1, Bless the Lord, O my soul. And it ends, verse 35. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And then you see that synonymous phrase, Praise the Lord. Where Psalm 103 will focus upon the, the, the Father's care for His people, Psalm 104 is the same thing, but it speaks about just his, his sovereignty over all creation and how that should draw us to bless the Lord as well. But that's, that's not the only place where Psalms begin and end with this phrase, blessing the Lord or, or praising the Lord. Look at Psalm 105. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon His name. Look at the end of Psalm 105. There it is. Praise the Lord. Or Psalm 106, praise the Lord. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. And Psalm 106 at the end, verse 48, blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting, and let all the people say, Amen, praise the Lord. There are at least five other psalms in all this Psalter that begin with, with blessing or praise and end with blessing and praise. Psalm 146, 147, 148, 149, and 150. It's a common psalm, I guess you'd say, technique or, or, or literary piece that they use. They begin with praising the Lord or blessing the Lord and they end with praising and blessing the Lord. In fact, these are synonyms. Look at verse 48. How, how just a blessing and praise just kind of mixed together there. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting and let all the people say Amen, right? Amen in praise. And finishing up there with praise the Lord. Alleluia. That's how those are are used. And so the theme of many psalms is the theme of this psalm. What sets this one apart a little bit, though, is it's bless the blesser. We we need to bless the Lord because He has blessed us with so many things. And and, and we'll see that in a bit. But before we pass on from verses 1 and 2, I want you to see that David here is talking to himself. He's talking to himself. Now, that's a, a good thing for all of us to do is to be in the habit of talking to yourselves. All right, maybe not audibly and in public. All right, um, they might lock you up someplace, but but in private, and and when you, you think about your relationship with God, oftentimes you should be talking to yourself and telling yourself how it is that you should act and respond. Look look at this inward dialogue he has. Verse one: Bless the Lord, O my soul. David is talking to his soul. He's telling his soul to praise the Lord. And he says, all that's in within me, bless His holy name. It's, that's a synonym. All that's in within me, that's His soul. He's everything within me. Soul, bless the Lord. <clears throat> then he says again, verse 2, bless the Lord, O my soul. Just repeating it for emphasis again again. Just saying, soul, you need, to, you need to bless the Lord. You need to praise the Lord. It's almost as if he's trying to convince himself. Like, like he's not feeling it, probably, maybe. And he's saying, I know this is the right thing to do, so soul, bless the Lord. That's what he's calling himself to do, as Derek Kidner said in his excellent commentary on the Psalms. He said, David was rousing himself to shake off apathy or gloom, Just stirring himself up, rousing himself up. Because I would suppose that David wrote this at a time when it was difficult to praise the Lord. We don't know when, but maybe it was like we looked at a couple of weeks ago in Psalm three when he's running from Absalom. He's out in the, the desert someplace. He's out in the wilderness. He's hiding in a cave and things aren't going well. And he tells himself, listen, outward circumstance of my feeling, I'm feeling pretty crummy. But I know that I should be blessing the Lord even in these difficult circumstances. So bless the Lord, oh, my soul. Or maybe he's running from Saul. He did that on several occasions and maybe likewise, he's out there in the desert with with nothing And he says, Bless the Lord, O my soul. My soul, God is is so gracious. He has blessed me so much. I ought to bless him. And telling him that until he he gets his feelings in tune with his thoughts and his mind. Or maybe he is even simply facing a time of doubt. Maybe circumstances life putting putting him toward things of the world and not toward things of God. And he said, You know, I need to get off the world. I need to need to focus my attention upon the Lord. It's a soul Bless the Lord. Or maybe he's struggling with the fact that, that God has forgiven his sins. Remember in 2 Samuel 11 and 12, it tells that story, that disastrous story about his sin with Bathsheba. And, and then he, he confessed his sin to the Lord. It was forgiven. But maybe he's even struggling with just the, the guilt that came about from that, which plagued him the rest of his life. Maybe even there he's just, he's just saying, God, I, I'm blessing you because I know that your forgiveness has come to me. But maybe he doesn't feel it entirely. And, and I say that because that's a lot of what Psalm 103 is about, is, is God's kindness and His forgiveness towards us. But whatever the reason, we see David using his mind and his memory to stir and provoke and kindle his emotions to come along. Somehow he didn't quite feel like worshiping the Lord, but he knew that it was the right and is the best thing to do. And, and so he, he pushed himself. Look, look at these superlatives. He says, "'Oh, my soul, bless the Lord.'" All that's within me. Bless the Lord, O my soul. He pushed Himself with all of His being. Everything that's within Him, He says, praise the Lord. This isn't a half-hearted thing. Maybe He's blessing the Lord half-heartedly. and He's saying, come on, do it more. Everything within me. Let's bless the Lord. And really, that is the greatest commandment, is it not? Remember when Jesus was asked which commandment of the law is the greatest? He says, here's the greatest, first and foremost. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. That's what David's calling himself to do, picking the phraseology from Deuteronomy. It just says, I'm supposed to love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. My soul is not quite there. Soul, get there and fulfill the, the greatest commandment. And I, I think even stopping right here, the application's huge for all of us. It's clear as a bell. It's the greatest commandment. It applies to all of us, whether you're a believer in Christ or not, whether you're following Jesus or not. It, Jesus says this is the greatest commandment. This, this comes upon all of us. And it, it ought to fill every fiber of our being with worship and praise to God. Anything less is sin. See, Because God has created us for His glory, Isaiah 43, 7. He's created us to worship Him. He's created us to bless Him. And He's created us to bless Him with all of our hearts. And anything less, we're falling short. And if you're anything like me, you know how easy it is to fall short of that. I'm not sure I've ever blessed the Lord with all of my soul and all that's within me. It's what I want. And how good David's words are here. Soul, bless the Lord. All of me, let's bless the Lord. It's difficult, the pull of the flesh in our lives. I think also just the pull of the, the tangible world. Because... The invisible God is often difficult to see and trust and believe in. I know it's true, and you know it's true, and you're believing, you're wanting to believe even in a, in a greater way. But you don't always feel like it. You don't always feel like you want to worship the Lord. David's practice is is good counsel, and I'm telling you, talk to yourself, persuade your feelings to catch up with what you know is right. Tell yourself, bless the Lord. That's a good application maybe for today when you go home and you got a choice between worshiping God somehow, maybe reading your Bible or reading a book or just turning on some kind of TV or, or surfing the internet to look whatever four-minute videos you want to watch on YouTube or or checking up other things. But be in a worshipful state or the conversation around the table. Just say, God, may I be one who blesses you rather than Walking in disobedience. And so walk in obedience. Watch and wait for your emotions to catch up with what you know is right. Is this not your experience? I know it's mine. Sometimes in ministry, there's a meeting that you don't really want to go to. Maybe some kind of Bible study, maybe some kind of prayer meeting, maybe saying, You just say, You know, I don't want to go, but I know I should go. And as your mind convinces your feet and your feet go to something where you know you're going to get enriched but you don't really like it, and then you go, and maybe that happens on Sunday mornings, maybe that happens on other times, maybe that happens when you're, you're reading your Bible in the morning, and you, you get your feet there to that place, and then after a while you say, and then you leave, and then what do you say? That was so good for me, right? That was so good. And so likewise, I just encourage you in that to bless the Lord is a, is a very good thing. Now, Psalm 103 gives us motivations for why it is that we should bless the Lord. I think the whole Psalm hinges on this second half of verse 2. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and here it is forget not all his benefits. That's the key to blessing the Lord. It's my second point. First point, bless the Lord. Second point, don't forget his benefits. Don't forget his benefits. That's what it says. In fact, don't even forget one of them. Forget not all his benefits. Don't even forget one of the blessings that God has has given you. He blessed the blesser. He's blessed you with so much. Bless him in return. And I just say this. How easy is it for us to forget the Lord's blessings in our lives? I mean, it, it goes with, with all of life. We get used to our surroundings. Out in California, I was uh, helping Avon's folks with their computers. And which uh, um, I can do, and I, I delight doing, but we went to this place called Fry's. They don't have it out here, but it's this gigantic, like it's the, it's the Sam's Club of computers. It's got everything in there. And so it was a bright, sunny California day, and we walked there into the store, and it was dark as can be. We're like, whoa, where'd everybody go? And then pretty soon, right, what happens to your eyes? They dilate, and you get pretty well adjusted to what's happening in the store, and so you're okay. You get used to it. But while you're in the store, you don't realize how dark it is in there. And then we went out to the California sun, and I'm telling you, I, couldn't, I could barely even open my eyes. I was glad I wasn't driving because Ray started driving. He had some sunglasses. I didn't, and I was just trying to get my eyes adjusted. And I have particular problems with that. Um, But then after a while, when my eyes adjust, when we adjust to the outside, we're like, oh, this is just how it is. Right. And so easily with all of life, we can we can just have 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 things where where we adjust. Our lives adjust and we forget the good things we have and we start wanting more even many times because we forget even the blessings of what we have. Sometimes we say, oh, I wish I could have a better job. But you forget that you have a job. You just assume that that's, that's okay. Or, or you might say this, oh, I wish we had more money. But you forget the fact that God has always provided for you everything you need. Or you wish that your house was bigger. But you forget the fact that God has given you a place to live that's totally sufficient for you. Or maybe, you know, we wish: oh, I wish I could lose some weight. But you forget the fact that you've got so much of an abundance of food. What a, what a great problem that is that we have so much food that we need to stop eating. Or, or wish that we have a better marriage. But at least you have a marriage. It's not the case for everyone. Or wish you have more friends. But you say, well, you forget your faithful friends you have. Or, or, or something like that. You, you know, we're no different oftentimes than, than children who want more toys to play with. And they forget what's in their closet. The toys that are just bursting at the seams, there. It's like, oh, that's that's not good. That's like, that's like normal, and, and and you forget about all those blessings of all the toys in the closet. I mean, if you're anything like us, we just gotta throw toys away because they just they come somehow. I'm not sure how they sneak into our room. I think they come our house. I think they sneak at night, like we're sleeping at night, and they just kind of you know Toy Story us, and they, they just sleep, they just get right there in our closet. I don't know how it happens, but kids forget about the toys they have so much wanting. It's the coveting in our hearts that that keeps us unsatisfied with, with the world. And, and I just say, everything that's true in the physical realm is true in the spiritual realm as well. How easy is it to forget the many blessings we have in Christ? It's the story of the people of God. Remember when Israel was de- redeemed from their slavery? God performed ten just unbelievably miraculous plagues. Things that have never been repeated since. Just Just amazing things upon the the country and destruction to Egypt. And 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 they witnessed all of them and they saw them freed from Egypt. No longer under slavery from the by the mighty hand of God. And yet, in their early days of wandering, it, it comes in the second half of Exodus chapter 15, the very next event, we find them complaining and grumbling like this isn't good enough for us. they they've forgotten everything that God had done and they didn't believe and they didn't trust Him for the future. Instead, they said, oh, this water... This water's bitter. They say, we've got nothing to eat. Or we have nothing to drink. And soon they were worshiping a golden calf which they themselves had made. They'd forgotten everything that God had done for them. They'd forgotten the benefits of the Lord. Or even 40 years later, when Israel was about to enter the land, Moses warned them, don't forget all of his benefits or the good things that he'd done for them. I just want to read a couple verses from Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy has several passages particularly chapter 7 a lot. I'm just going to read from chapter 4, verse 9. He says this. He says, Moses to the people, take care and keep your soul diligently lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. You've seen some wondrous things. You walked in the desert and you're... Your feet, your shoes didn't wear out. Your sails didn't wear out. And God provided you with food all the time And the ten plagues. Don't forget that. And and we can just think about, oh, I hear him in the desert and it's awful cold, awful hot. It's awful miserable. It's awful dry. But we forget of all the good things that God has done to bring us to where we are. Or, Or Deuteronomy 6. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob to give you, "...with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of all good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant, and when you eat and are full, take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God, you shall fear Him, you shall serve, and by His name you shall swear." It's easy to forget. Is what great things God has done in the way that he has provided. And, 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 and what can happen oftentimes is he provides in the past and then is there. And then you forget the wondrous ways he's provided for you in the past. And he's like, oh, this is this is normal. I just wish that God would provide for me. Like, open your heads. God has provided for you. But Israel forgot his blessing. And that's just not Old Testament. It's New Testament as well. I mean, didn't it didn't happen to the disciples on the road to Emmaus, right? You remember that? The surrounding events of the Passion Week where Jesus was betrayed, arrested, beaten, crucified, killed, buried. And then the tomb was empty. And they're like, huh. We thought He was going to redeem Israel and now this tomb, we don't know what, what's going to happen. He was crucified. And Jesus... Rebuke his disciples, oh foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and then enter his glory? He had told them plainly about how we're going up to Jerusalem, okay, and three different occasions, at least... Three different cases we have preserved in the, the scriptures. He went, He said, okay, we're going to Jerusalem and there the Son of Man is going to be betrayed. He's going to be handed over to the, the Romans. They're going to beat him and crucify him and he's going to die. He's going to be buried, but he's going to raise the third day. And then I totally forgot about everything that God was, was going to do. And, and I just say, how easy is it for us to forget the wonderful things God has done? So, think about a new Christian. Why is it that new Christians are often excited about their newfound faith? Right? So excited that they'll, they'll share the Gospel with anything that's living, including their bird or their dog. Just it's living. Let me tell you, just because they, they know the darkness and the light to which they've come from. The the darkness they come from and the light to which they're going and it's clear contrast and and the the contrast is evident for them. And they are so excited about it. They're just going to share with everybody because everything's new. They they can't believe that their life is so different now that they're forgiven of their sin simply by looking to Christ and confessing their sin and turning from their sin and believing in a sufficient sacrifice. And they can't help to, to share it with others. Why is it so many seasoned Christians, many, many seasoned Christians rarely share the gospel with people, with others? Is it because they've been taken out of darkness to light, but it was so long ago they can't remember the darkness and now they got the light and everything's just normal for them now? And they, they don't remember what the darkness is and their eyes have dilated or contracted or whatever. And so now they're just walking the light and that's just that's just how things are. Their souls have been accustomed to hearing about everything they have in Christ. Hearing of the grace of forgiveness no longer thrilling to them as it once was. Because they've heard it so much. Right? You hear it over and over and over again. Yes, Jesus died for my sin. Yes, I believe that. That's wonderful. This is the Bible story, right? The answer to every question, answer, question is Jesus. Yes, Jesus did this. Oh, it's so wonderful. I've, I've heard many times, you know. And, and for us, have been... Christians, are a long time. You've read through your Bible a lot. I mean, think about how many times you've read the story of Jesus walking on the water, feeding five thousand. Try just looking at it and reading it for the first time. Or try grasping what God's forgiveness is for the first time, or, or try reading Revelation and hearing about streets of gold and, and gates of pearls. And maybe it fascinates you again, afresh. That's what we need because we need to see like, like where we were headed. Apart from the mercy of Christ, and now what we have, and I always see that contrast. Don't forget any of the, be- the benefits we have. The fact that we're in the light is a huge benefit. So let's not forget any of those benefits. It's, it's not that we don't believe those things; it's that they just become so ordinary that we can forget. So The hymn writer says, "Lord, I'm prone to wander, I'm prone to leave the God of love." Prone to forget all your benefits and blessings. And, and I believe we really grasp all that the Lord has done for us, our lives would be different. And that's really the call of, of Psalm 103, right? It begins with a call to bless the Lord. Don't forget any of his benefits. Because then you'll worship the Lord in a great way. You remember the first chapter of Ephesians? Same thing. Ephesians 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Blessing, even the same word comes right there. Praise be to God. Blessing to God because He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And then He goes to list them off. Right there in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4, it says that He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. That our salvation wasn't anything that we did because we were predestined for adoption as sons. That's what God did for us. Ephesians 1 verse 4 says that. Ephesians 1, verse 7 says we have redemption in the blood of Jesus. We have the forgiveness of our trespasses according to His grace. He has made known to us the mystery of His will. We have obtained this inheritance in Jesus. We are fellow heirs with Christ. We're sealed, the promised Holy Spirit. And after all these blessings that Paul just pours out, to remember how blessed you are in Christ, then he says this. He says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Ephesians 1.17 That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. In other words, really grasp the treasure you have in Jesus. Really embrace it. And you will blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, it says there in Ephesians 1, three times, all these blessings have come to us to the praise, the glory of His grace, to the praise of His glory, to the praise of His glory. God gives us these great blessings that it goes back to Him in praise. Ephesians 1. And that, by the way, is exactly what Psalm 103 is. Psalm 103 is the Ephesians 1 of the Old Testament. Blessing after blessing after blessing after blessing, benefit after benefit after benefit after benefit, coming and rolling like waves upon a sea, just coming up and, and before the next one's out, the next one just kind of coming and every just, whoosh, whoosh, these blessings coming. Let's place our toes in the water. And my heart, as we zip through Psalm 103 here, is that you, we have your heart moved, the soul flooded with the realization of God's kindness and care and compassion to you, that, that you would be stirred to bless the Lord. Alright, so we're going to start here in verse 3. We're going to plow through the psalm. i got four words to, to give us some hooks here. First, kindness. That's what we see in verses 3-5. through five. God's, God's kindness upon us. Verse 3, "...who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit." Who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. Who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. It's God's kindness to us is what these, these talk about. See, Because when we sin, we need forgiveness. And God is ready to grant it. When we're sick, He's ready to bring the healing. When our lives are a mess, He's ready to come and take us out of the muck. When our sins deserve eternal punishment, God is the one who saves us from the terrors of hell. When we walk through the world, God pours His lavish grace upon us. He's the giver of all good gifts, as we read about today in our prayer meeting, James 1.17. God grants us contentment with all of our, our goodness, right? He, he satisfies you, verse 5, with good. When, when we're weak and needing strength, metaphorically, we, we mount up with wings of an eagle, Echoes of uh, Isaiah forty. Such is the kindness of God. These speak of our downtimes. I mean all of these are. They're speaking of our downtime in sin or, or sickness or or in the pit or just our life when we're not satisfied. And what, what does God do? He's the one that forgives. And if we need healing, He's the one that heals. If we need saving, He's the one that redeems. If we need strength, He's the one that gives us. Behold, I say, the kindness of God. And I just say this, you're never going to find, find forgiveness any other place except in God. And you're never going to find healing except in God. You're never going to escape the terrors of hell except in God. You're never going to live the satisfied life except in God. Peter said, in "Acts 4:12, There is salvation in no other name under heaven that has been given among men, except the name of Jesus Christ by which we are saved." It's talking about His sacrifice on the cross, bringing us healing, both in this life and in the life to come. Isaiah 53:5, He was pierced for our transgressions; He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him the chastisement that brought us, upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with His wounds we are healed." We're healed in this life. We are healed in life to come. We are forgiven in this life. We're forgiven in life to come. But I do believe that this, this verse 4 is talking about redeeming our life from the pit. That's just re- redeeming our life either in life from a messy life or from the eternal pit of hell. That He, he redeems us. And, and realize this, that God's kindness comes because He wasn't obligated to do these things at all. He could have let us go in our sin, but it's because of His kindness that He lets us turn from our sin turn to Jesus so I just say turn from your sin and trust in Christ remember it is the kindness of God that leads to repentance God's kindness does and I trust that'll do its work in you well let's move on from God's kindness to his character verses 6 through 8 you know we, we have a wonderful God who is is endued with integrity and character in a wonderful way. He's not, he's not like Allah, who's just capricious, does things at a whim. He does things principally according to His righteous, gracious plan. Look at look at His character, verses 6-8. through eight. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known His ways to Moses, His acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. You know, there's a lot of talk today about justice and, and very good. Social justice, talking about that, for the poor. Equal justice for all. People standing up for the unborn, that's wonderful. People standing up for the traffic kids. Sex trade. We need justice for these people because great wrong has been done to them. Let's, let's help them, that's wonderful. But God is the one who works and acts completely just, justly in all His ways. You, you never need fear to bring a case before God only to face an unrighteous judge. God will be righteous in all His ways. He'll he'll do what's right. And verse 7 brings us back. One big way He did what was right is He took this whole nation of Israel subjugated by Egypt into slavery, which was was wrong when they were poorly treated, subject to cruelties. They cried out to the Lord, and what did God do? He redeemed them from the bondage of their slavery. In the midst of the Exodus account... There's this exchange between Moses and God on Mount Sinai, which which brings up some of the same verbiage right here. I think that's where David got it. Moses on the mountain pleading for God to be merciful to the people of Israel. Maybe you remember this. Exodus thirty-three thirteen. He says, now, therefore, if I found favor in your sight, show me now your ways that I may know you. Show me your ways O God that I may know you. Moses, he had this desire to know the ways of God, right? What what are your ways? In verse seven, right? So he made known his ways to Moses. That's what he's praying for. And God answered his request, said, Exodus thirty three, seventeen, says, God, this very thing you've spoken I will do for you, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. And so Moses said, So show me your glory, God. Right? Show me your ways, show me your glory. And God said this, Exodus thirty three nineteen I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. And remember then Moses was hid in the, the cleft of the rock and God passed by, put his hand over so he couldn't see and then he was able to see his backside. And then just even the scene in Exodus, we, we read of the, the seed of David's words here in Psalm 103. It says uh, in, in Exodus... 34 verse 6. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. It's exactly what verse 8 says. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. That is the character of God. He's a patient God. He's a kind God. He is a merciful God. You know, many times, lots of people think that, oh, the God of the Old Testament is just so mean and, and His wrath is there. But the God of the New Testament is love and grace. There's truth to that. God revealed His wrath in the Old Testament because He need to understand the wrath in order to understand the cross. But there is tons of grace in the Old Testament. And it's even here when He gets down to His character where Moses said, Show me your ways and I may know you. Right? Show me your character. I want to know you, God. What does He do? He says, This is what my character is about. I'm merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abundant in steadfast love. That is the God of the Old Testament. And by the way, the God of the New Testament has plenty of judgment. Think about Jesus spoke about hell more than anybody else. When when Peter and Paul preached, they preached judgment that was coming. They said the Old Testament, they prophesied of forgiveness to come, but now he's declaring to all everywhere that you should repent because you're going to judge the world. It's not so nice, not so neat. Old Testament wrath, New Testament love. No, there's a lot in both. I would say... Equally giving us a a nice view of God. Here's God's character merciful, gracious, patient, and abounding in love for his people. So don't forget his character. That's one of the benefits that we have in God. It's one of the blessings of just his character, who he is towards us. We see his kindness, verses 3 through 5, his character, 6 through 8. Now his compassion, verses 9 through 13. This is compassion. This, This just pervades all of these verses, right? He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His steadfast love toward those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does He remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear Him. Let's write over and over and over in these verses, you see the same message. God is a compassionate God. Psalm 30, verse 5 says, His anger is but for a moment... But his favor and grace for a lifetime. Yes, God is angry with sin, but his anger doesn't last forever. So, verse 9 is about He's not always going to chide with us, not always going to strive with us, not always going to contend with us. Because those who repent of the sin and call upon the Lord will know his grace. And how wonderful it is, verse 10 says, He does not deal with us according to our sins, He doesn't repay us according to our iniquities. Psalm 130 verse 3 and 4 I trust you remember that if you lord should mark iniquities o lord who can stand the answer is none of us if god would deal with us according to our sins if god would repay us according to our iniquities none of us should stand so I, any soul in heaven is only there by God's grace. Any soul that's saved is only there by, by God's grace. Wages of sin is death, says Romans 6.23. And if God dealt with us according to our sins, what our sins deserve, what we're paying, we deserve death. But God is merciful and compassionate. And then he gives these three, um, these three comparisons. One is height. And one is breadth. And one is an example of, of human love. He says this, verse 11, As high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His steadfast love towards those who fear Him. You know, the heavens are far, 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 far above the earth. David knew that the stars were beyond reach, but I don't think that David had any comprehension of how far beyond our reach all those stars exactly are, which fill the heavens. Though the Spirit of God did. God certainly, inspired David to write. Said, you know, if I want to compare what my loving kindness is, let's just let's just use the heavens. And God knew what comparison He was using. It was almost forty years ago. Voyager One was launched. It's about fifteen hundred pounds of of metal electronic circuitry, reeling through space, ten thousand miles per second. That thing is flying. I mean, it launched from the Earth. They got it going, and then they slingshotted around several. Planets using the gravitational pull to, to really propel it 10,000 miles a second. That's moving. Okay. Usain Bolt is not that fast. All right. That is moving. So just just think though, after 40 years, it's about 12 billion miles from planet Earth, just on the outer edges of our solar system. After 40 years, it's just it's just leaving. The scientists don't know if it has left or it is leaving because like. Where is our solar system exactly end out there? They, they don't exactly know. But put it in perspective, traveling 10,000 miles a second, it's gone 0.2% of a light year in 40 years. All right? Which means the nearest star four year, light years away, Voyager 1, for it to keep going 10,000 miles per second, would reach that star in 20,000 years if it was pointed in that direction. That's pretty... That's just the nearest star, though. If it's going to travel across our galaxy, it's going to take another 20 billion years just to get from one side of the galaxy to the other side of the galaxy, which is where we see all our our stars. At which point it would take another 400 billion years to reach the closest galaxy if it was pointed in that direction. And many are far beyond that. God's steadfast love towards us is great like that. That's the illustration He gave. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His steadfast love toward those who fear Him. How high it is. How about wide? Look at the breadth. Verse 12, As far as the east is from the west, so far does He remove our transgressions from us. The east and the west, they never come together. Now you can say, oh yeah, well they circle around the globe and they're only 25,000 miles apart. That's not what David is using here. He's he's talking about you go that way, you go that way, you keep going that way, you keep going that way. That's how far God has removed our our sins from us. Isaiah 38 verse 17 says that God has thrown our sin behind his back. Like there's a sin, he just kind of puts it back there and just doesn't look at it again. He's forgotten it. Puts it right back there. Micah 7 verse 19 says that God has cast our sin into the depth of the sea. Thrown it there, it's it's waffled down, never to be retrieved again. Like a sunken vessel deep in the recesses of the sea. Colossians 2 says that our sins have been nailed to the cross. Fully dealt with, never to be brought up again. That's the idea. It's, It's not that God forgets. It's just that He chooses never to bring those things up again. Our our sin that is forgiven is wholly forgiven, completely forgiven. Don't think that that God forgives like sometimes people forgive. I mean, one of the things that devastates relationships, by the way, what's marriage relationship particularly or other relationships, is when there's been sin uh, from one party to the other and that sin is like never dealt with and put away. But whenever somebody needs ammunition in like their argument... (laughs) I can pull up that sin, right? And they pull up that sin again. And these, these, these sins that have been, we thought, dealt with, apparently it's not being dealt with. Because you're bringing it up again. Okay, well, let's deal with that. You gotta, God deals with our sin, with finality, at the cross. The certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us was nailed to the cross. See so You see, God doesn't bring up these past sins that way. When they're forgiven, they are done. They're cast behind them. They're thrown into the depths of the sea as far as the east is from the west. And just as Psalm 103 is the Ephesians 1 of the Old Testament, so also in Ephesians chapter 3, Paul prays along similar lines. He prays Ephesians 3, 18 and 19 that you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge. See, because God's the comparisons here are really beyond all comprehension, we just don't know. And Paul says that you might know the love of God, which is unknowable. It's like there's no way; it is so high we can't we can't obtain that. But we can get a glimpse if we look at family relationships on the earth. Verse thirteen: As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear Him. And we understand this. Parents are often devoted to their children in a, in a good and, and right way. In fact, I would say this. Good parents abound in compassion for their children. Like, they root for their children on the, the team. In fact, even right now, Steffi has um, just auditioned. Uh, when did you audition? Friday? Friday for a, a show. We're like so pulling for her that she gets her part. We so want her to, to have her part. Parents will, will go overboard to make sure that their kid plays, right? Make sure that everything goes their way because they have compassion on them. They want the best for their children in every sense of the word. And that's a good thing. Parents are often blind to how devoted they are to that. And I'm sure I'm blind with respect to how much I want to start to succeed as she goes to college next year and Hannah and volleyball and Steffi and in, um, in place. Certainly I'm blind to that. And you parents should be blind to your kids as well. You want your kids to go. So likewise, also, you should have great compassion for your children when they sin. They should always know you as a loving one who's going to bring them back in. And the perfect picture of that, of course, is the prodigal son. son goes away, squanders half his father's wealth, loose living, wild living. And then he runs out of money and he returns. And the father is full of compassion in fact, even in Luke 15, it says that he was full of compassion, and he runs after him, and he embraces him, and he kisses him, throws a feast in celebration of his return, brings him back in full standing in the family. And I would, I would argue this: that's the perfect picture of parents upon the earth. You should be like that, your kids. Bring them back in when they repent. Hug them and embrace them when they've gone their way. They're, they're going their ways. Notice the father was watching. He's waiting patiently for them to turn and come back. It's just compassion. That's who, who God is. Notice, though, who receives this compassion? It, God is compassionate towards those who fear him. It's in it verse 13. That phrase also comes up in verse 11. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. See, God's steadfast love isn't, isn't just to everybody. It comes to those who really fear the Lord. Which, by the way, as I've been working through Leviticus, I hope that book teaches about the fear of the Lord. Hope it teaches about the holiness of God. Hope it gives us a holy passion and zeal to pursue holiness, because God is holy. Because those are the ones who receive compassion, who pursue God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. Well, we've seen kindness and character and compassion. Let's just let's close up quickly here by looking at God's care. That's how I tried to summarize 14 through 19. Though 14 kind of spins from verse 13, but then it starts this new topic. I think about the care of God. Just how God cares for us. He knows our frame, verse 14. He remembers that we are but dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. for The wind passes over it and it's gone. And his place knows it no more. But, strong contrast here, verse 17, in light of the, the temporal nature of man, God is different, but... The steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. There's that phrase again on those who fear Him and His righteousness to children's children. To those who keep His covenant and remember to do His commandments, the Lord has established His throne in the heavens. His kingdom rules over all. See, God understands our weakness. He understands, He knows full well that we came from dust and to dust we shall return. In fact, the longer you live on earth, the more clearly you see this. Death, Overtakes us all, right? Juanita, your mother passed away three weeks ago, two and a half weeks ago, something like that. Uh, my my sister-in-law's mother passed away ten days ago, three weeks, two weeks ago, something like that. Um, I have a high school classmate of mine who I learned passed away this this past week. I just heard about that. All you can do is just open the paper to the obituaries and you just you read all the names. I know Phil Gusky does that every day because it's part of his business. He needs to know if a client died. So he can, he can relate and do that. But I, I'm just saying that God knows our life is temporary. But contrast to our temporary life, God is eternal. Look, look again there, that, that contrast there in verse 17. But the steadfast love is everlasting to everlasting on those who fear Him. This, by the way, teaches the resurrection from the dead even though we are in the pit, we die, His steadfast love is going to continue on us forever because we live after the tomb. And for those who fear the Lord, His steadfast love comes in a great, great way. It continues throughout eternity. Look again how, how it defines upon who get this steadfast love this care of God. It's those who fear Him. Keep going. And it says, verse 18, those who keep His covenant. Verse 18, to those who remember to do his commandments. This is simply talking about those who place their faith in Christ, those who have trusted the Lord and those who who genuinely trust the Lord will follow in his ways to keep his covenant. It says, "Okay, God, I I believe you trust you. You say, here's your covenant and I will willingly follow that. And not perfectly, but willingly following in the ways of God The the um, the life of a believer 1 John 5:13, right? The love of God. We we keep his commandments. The commandments aren't burdensome. God's commandments everything we want. It's a burden when we don't. Remember Romans 7 when Paul says, "Oh wretched man that I am." And what's he wretched at? What's he struggling at? His sin because this is his delight to walk in the ways of God. And that's the people to whom the steadfast love of the Lord will be everlasting everlasting upon. And so my my question really comes to you. Is that is that you? Are you one who is Fearing the Lord. Keeping His commandments. Following after His covenant. Because His care comes only upon those who have trusted in Jesus Christ. I, saw, I call you today to submit to the, the sovereign ruler. I, I think the way verse 19 fits here is that the, the sovereignty of God. He is a sovereign, ruling God who cares. He is not a, um, an, an evil despot. He is, a, he is a kind, a beneficent ruler The Lord has established His throne in the heavens and His kingdom rules over all. He's a kind one to submit to. And so, David even here would say, in fact, the call here, my third point now, bless the Lord. The call is to all creation. He begins with the angels. Verse 20, Bless the Lord, O you His angels, you mighty ones who do His word, obeying the voice of His word. You get the angelic world. All you angels, right? Bless the Lord. And you see that in Revelation that they indeed are. And, and another reference to angels here. Bless the Lord all His hosts. Right? His, his army, His ministers who do His will. right? Bless the Lord. But then it comes to us in verse 22. Bless the Lord all His works in all places of His dominion. And, and where is His dominion? His dominion, verse 19, is over all. So everywhere, where you are, all His works should praise the Lord. That is people... That, I believe, is animals and plants. Not that they praise the Lord like we do, but there are passages of Scripture that talk about let the fields clap their hand for joy. The trees of the field, right? And and particularly when God's coming back to judge because this creation has been subject to futility because of the sin of man. But it will again praise God when it's in the new creation. Metaphorically speaking. That's what he's talking about all his works. But as Psalm 150 says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. That's all of us that we should bless the Lord. That really includes you and includes me. That as my title says, we ought to bless the blesser. David finishes up with a plea to his own, own soul. Even though he's called everybody to do that, he turns back again upon himself and says, Oh my soul, bless the Lord. David so wants it. I just say, do you want that for your life? To be one who blesses the Lord. I say, if you do, review the ways in which God has blessed you. It's the easiest way. It's the best way. It's the message of Psalm 103, how we, we stir to, to bless and, and praise the Lord. You know, this does come right in with the theme and the, the aim and the vision of our church. Right? Rock Valley Bible Church exists. Help me now to enjoy His grace and to extend His glory, right? To enjoy His grace, extend His glory. We're enjoying His grace because He's blessed us. How do we extend His glory? By blessing Him and worshiping others. It just flows right out of here. Well, let's pray and may God change our hearts, help our hearts. Lord, I would pray that as we are willing people to Your will and Your rule, we are willing slaves, willing servants, willing ministers of You, I pray that you would give us strength, God, because we can say all day long, bless the Lord, O my soul. And yet, unless you come, unless you work in us mightily, God, that we just vain words. And so I, I pray that as we speak this to ourselves, may you be the one to empower us, God, to actually worship you and praise you. Oh, God, we, we need your strength. And, and I would pray for all of us this day, may we not put our head on our pillows tonight, oh God. Apart from thinking this thought, praying this prayer, that we might be a blessing to you, that we might bless your name, that we might praise you, and lift your name up. Hallelujah, oh Lord, we do praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, it's good to be back. We're going to enjoy a meal here just in a, a little bit. Um, can I have someone pray for that meal, just so we don't? Ray Hook, could I ask you? A